Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. Today we are starting on our big question series. There's going to be 12 of them. The first today, will the Knicks try to trade for Joel Embiid? We're rolling with that. Let's get into it right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. You are locked on Knicks, and a reminder to download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On NBA for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And we want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day because we're now available on every single platform. Um, seriously, anyone, even even the weird ones, we are there. Um, and you can also watch us on YouTube. That's right. If you don't see our smiling faces on a daily basis, uh, you are missing out. So go subscribe and hit that notifications bell so you never, ever miss an episode because that would make you an everydayer. That would make you our best friends on this show. But who do you want to be such good friends with? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcasters. Favorite play-by-play broadcaster. He's Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website in the whole wide world. And Alex, we're starting off with the biggest questions out of the biggest questions. The biggest question out of all the big questions. And that is, you might have heard some, some discourse about it on Twitter, on ESPN, at your local grocery store even. Following the Philadelphia 76ers disappointing second round exit and the widespread expectation that James Harden might want to head on back to the Houston Rockets, will Joel Embiid demand a trade this offseason? And if he does, will he want to hang out with his old CAA buddy, Leon Rose, and the New York Knicks, who with Joel Embiid all of a sudden would be prime to compete for an NBA championship? Take that where you will. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, first off, just the fact that we even get to like think about this as a possibility is kind of crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, if you can think like within the last couple of years, this is always like, ah, oh, well, you know, if if so and so ever wants out, why would they ever want to come to the Knicks? And that was kind of always the big question, right? Remember last year when we got like, well. It was silly at the time because I don't think that it was ever that dire. But when we got like basically laughed off the off the, the pod by our own boss, you know, when we were like, what if the what if the Jazz don't win this year? Might Donovan Mitchell want out and might he want on to the Knicks? And then what happened? But that happened over the offseason. But David Locke was like, why would anyone want to come to the Knicks? They suck. They've always sucked. And, you know, nobody wants to go there because they're not good. Well. They're good now. And now, like, yeah. the, next, the next time a Joel Embiid wants out, like, or that type of player, like, the Knicks will probably be at the top of a few lists, uh, which they could very well be for Embiid. I I go back and forth about what the trade scenario would look like, too. It's, it's tough because, like, obviously he's the reigning MVP. He was just named MVP. And yet also has never made a conference finals. Uh, at this point in his career, and he's not exactly like super young anymore. Like he's kind of in the prime of his career at this point. Like he was drafted in 2014. So he's been in the league almost 10 years at this point. Um, so there's factors to weigh back and forth. I also wonder how much leverage 
the Sixers would have, considering if James Harden leaves, they're kind of screwed. Like, they're capped out. They're well capped out, even without James Harden's salary on the books, because Joel Embiid is making a ton of money, and Tobias Harris is making a ton of money. And just like the Knicks are going to have to consider paying Emmanuel quickly, they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do as far as paying Tyrese Maxey going forward. And they have just a ton of other salary on the books as well. So, you know, it's not looking super great uh, for them from that perspective of being able to get better this offseason if Harden leaves. And if they can't get better, then why would Joel Embiid want to stay there? And so then he has the ability to potentially force their hand. Now, then we run into a situation sort of similar to last summer where it's like, well, yeah, but then he could say all he wants. I want to go to the Knicks. And yet it's not like he has a no trade clause. So the Sixers could just say, well, good for you, but we're shipping you to Orlando or whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know, like wherever gives us the highest bid of what we want, which is draft picks and players uh, is where we're going to send you. So tough cookies if you want to go to the Knicks. So I don't know. I, I go back and forth, but I feel like if it ultimately came down to it and the package was similar to what the Knicks were reportedly what the Knicks were offering, not what the jazz were asking for last year. Um, I would, I, I would, I would be a fool if I would say I wouldn't at least consider it, but I would probably be inclined to go that direction. And I would hope the Knicks would be as well. Yeah. I think the price will be higher. Daryl Morey is known for being a stubborn negotiator. And I think, he's had some faults over the years, namely maybe trusting James Harden a little bit too much, but he tends to be very good in those situations, much like how he traded Ben Simmons, who has not really been an NBA player since then for James Harden. Whatever you want to say about James Harden, he's been on the court. He's led the NBA in assists. He's been a lot better than Ben Simmons has been. Um, So I say that to say that I think if the Sixers decided to go that direction, um, they would hold out for, at the very least, a, a Rudy Gobarian type of package. And what I've seen in the discourse on Nick's Twitter, our guy Schwinn, I, I think has been very smart about how he's discussed this. Um, the like the Knicks could be wise to wait for the star market to normalize. And that might be a couple years from now, because right now it is like the default is like if it is a guy who has made multiple all star teams and has even a slight argument to be a top 10 player in the world. And make no mistake, Joel Embiid, whatever he did in these playoffs, I, I think is a no argument, top 10 player in the world. It's not a controversial statement. You just named the most valuable player in the entire NBA. Um, the Knicks are going to have to give everything outside of Jalen Brunson. So what does that look like? That means to me, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, RJ Barrett, and like a bunch of picks. And I wouldn't be down for that. I don't think you'd be down for that. I don't think most of us listening would be down for that. And some people listening might say, well, Gavin, well, Alex, why aren't you down for that? If he's that good and you'd have Julius Randle and you'd have Jalen Brunson and you'd have Josh Hart and you'd have, uh, who who knows, maybe Evan Fournier gets back in the rotation. Like, shouldn't you just go all in on that group? And there's a case to be made for it. But to your point, Alex, he is 29 years old and seven footers um, that aren't Kevin Durant or Giannis that aren't perimeter players that are post players have not aged very well in the modern NBA. The last guy, um, this was on a quick look, so someone feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but 30 or older to make an all-NBA team was Pau Gasol all the way back in 2015. 
We saw how bad Gobert went. And of course, Embiid is not Gobert as a play as a player or even close to it, right? He's immensely skilled offensively. He's a fantastic shooter. Um, he is relatively less tread on his tires because he didn't play his first two seasons. But the dude, as we know at this point, is immensely, immensely, immensely injury prone. And his numbers fall off in the playoffs every single year because of it. Even when he's on the court, he is dramatically less efficient. He is somewhat less productive. And to your point, he's never let his team pass the second round of the playoffs. Would that change with Jalen Brunson, who you can make a case outside of the one year Jimmy Butler would be the best playoff performer he's ever had a chance to pair himself with? Maybe, but that is a risk that I'm not willing to take if the Knicks have to give up, quote unquote, everything for him. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm probably right there with you. I mean, as far as the injury concerns, like I, I think it's, it's almost like less, like I think that this formula has been figured out for him, right? Like just looking at his, obviously didn't play uh, the first two years of his career, thanks to the foot injury. And then only 31 games his next year. But since then he's played 63, 64, 51, 51, 68 and 66 games in his NBA career. Uh, all those years he's made an all-star team because he's been fantastic in every single one of those years. Uh, but like you basically are just going to bank on, he's going to miss 15 to 20 games every single year, because you're going to have to just build in maintenance for him essentially, which first off, if you're plopping him on a Tibbs team, who knows how well that's going to go over first off and who knows how well like minutes limits or whatever else are going to go over. And you know, not playing on back-to-backs or, or things like that. Like, those are not things that would be very symbiotic between Tibbs and and the way that Embiid plays. But then you also have to factor in, like you said, like, you know, his play tends to drop off probably because of just kind of, I mean, look. He's as, hurt. As, he's usually hurt. Yeah. He's playing through, like, it would, yeah. it's tough, but he's playing through injuries most of the yeah. time in the playoffs. And, and as just, like, a normal human tall person, like, you get creaky after you've been playing a bunch of basketball, you know what I mean? Like it's, you know, he, he reaches the end of the season and it kind of, the wheels fall off, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I would not give up everything either because the, the reality is, is that because you know that he's going to miss 20 games too, you also have to know like that you're going to have enough depth to absorb that during the regular season. And if you have to trade all your depth just to get him, then you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place where maybe you still, managed to hold on to Hartenstein and you have to give up Mitch in the deal to get him or whatever. But like, you know, then you have Hartenstein and who Jericho Sims like to back Hartenstein up for 20 games a year that might affect your playoff seating. And we've seen that hurt the Sixers too, in some years where, you know, they, they end up with a lower playoff seed and less home playoff games because of the fact that they had to essentially punt, you know, 10 games during the season because Embiid had to, you know, rest for maintenance. So I think I'm with you and, and, you know, we're going to have plenty more discussions about this, but, it is a big question. Do you trade for Joel Embiid if he becomes available? Do you give up what it takes to get him? And if what it takes to get him is like five to six first round picks and like the whole young core that the Knicks have spent the last like four years putting together and developing, I don't, I don't think I'm with it. I think I'm with you. I, I think I would probably say pass and just be like, well, you know what? Just wait for the market to normalize or just wait to find another Jalen Brunson type that you can either sign or sign and trade. And figure it out from there and, you know, just kind of try to build a little more organically yeah. than, you know, making that sort of a star trade with that much risk associated because you you leave the potential for yourself to just end up just like the Sixers are right now within yeah, one, a couple of years. And one last quick thing, like 
and and I, I said it last summer, like you always have to remember, like I may maybe Jalen Brunson's the acceptance or exception to this, but there, there's no perfect star. Like there, there are always going to be like ways you can talk yourself out of it. And, and man, Joel Embiid is incredible. But in my perfect world of worlds, the guy the Knicks will get to fill out their core will be a six-seven wing that can shoot and can create his own offense and can defend. Someone in that, like to me, like again, I always reference Paul George. Like that's the holy grail for the New York Knicks. Joel Embiid is so good. It, it, might, it might might defeat that argument. It might not matter. But I, I would throw out there for me personally and for what the Knicks currently have. Like I think that's the kind of guy they should try to go for. Well, and as it turns out, they have a wing on their roster right now who they could be looking to re-sign this offseason, who most certainly is not what you just described, <laughs> but did help turn the season around and was really good. And that's Josh Hart. And we're going to talk about him in just a sec and how much the Knicks should prioritize him this offseason after, after a very up-and-down postseason, like high highs, low lows <laughs> right at the end there. Uh, but undoubtedly a guy that influenced the Knicks for the better. But first, we just got to remind you all that today's show is brought to you by Game Time. And I don't know about you guys. I'm not a I'm not a planner necessarily with tickets. Uh, my wife is the planner. So she'll buy us tickets like a long time in advance. I'm a vibes guy. I'll just be like, you know what? I want to go to a Mets game this weekend. And then it'll be like I go on some of these apps and I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's going to cost way more than I feel like spending to go to or Knicks games, honestly, are the number one where I'm like Ugh, trying to buy last minute tickets. Not a great experience. That's where the game time app comes in, though. It's it's a fantastic app. I've used it a few times. I really enjoy it. Uh, they have flash deals and last minute tickets. They have easy to find uh, tickets and easy to buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. They give you images of seat views, and they have their lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, and more to help protect you and your ticket investment no matter when you decide to buy your tickets. But it's the place for last-minute ticket deals. I can tell you that much. You don't have to plan months in advance anymore. They have deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, and you can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. So if you find picket, if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. So snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code locked on NBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply again. Create an account and redeem code locked on NBA for $20 off your first purchase. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right. And we're back in to talk about the guy that we teased at the end of the last segment. Josh Hart. Gavin is a free agent. The Knicks, obviously, it feels like he just got here and now there's a chance he might leave. Uh, but that, of course, is the risk of trading for a guy on the last year of his contract uh, who made a great impact for you, though, seems pretty happy in New York and has said as much. I think that there's a good chance that he ends up back with the Knicks, but we have the ability to sort of put our own spin on this for as long as uh, until he ends up signed with the Knicks again. Uh, so I'm curious, Gavin, how would you prioritize Josh Hart? And if so, it, like if you if you do prioritize resigning him, how much would you pay Josh Hart to keep him? It, for for reference, he's coming off contract where he made about thirteen million a year. Yeah. Um. So the playoffs, I think, slightly shifted my opinion of him in a negative way. Unfortunately, because that Cavs series, like he was by and large transcendent in, 
And I still think playing the appropriate role, he can still do that. Like him with Emmanuel quickly and that bench unit was absolute magic. Like we, we referenced the stat a bunch of times in this pod, but the Knicks were playing like a 43 team, 43 win team without Josh Hart, a 58 win team with him. And the way he injected life into their pace, like contributed to their defense, his ability to be a one man fast break, like his, his passing and like another guy in the lineup who's a quick decision maker, his physicality, his hustle, like it all epitomized like everything we loved about this Knicks team. But in the playoffs, I think we saw him epitomize like some of the negatives of this Knicks team. And mostly in that he just couldn't shoot the basketball or at least was an unwilling shooter of the basketball. And we, we talked about it. We wondered, all right, was the 33% he shot in Portland more of a reality? Was the 56% he shot in New York more of a reality? What was actually the reality was the one thing that was consistent over those two teams, and that were, were his attempts per game. And volume, this is like an increasing theory like throughout scouting and in player evaluation. Volume is approximately as important as efficient as efficiency because you have to be able to get them up and defenses have to treat you as a shooter. And if you shoot over 50% from three, but you're left wide open, Alex, it makes much less of an impact. And Jalen Brunson, because of it, was a completely different player when he was forced to play with RJ Barrett and Josh Hart than just one of those two guys. And particularly after the postseason RJ had, you got to imagine he's going to be a priority, at, at least for you. Is, is Hart still a priority given that and the fact that the Knicks so clearly need one of Quentin Grimes or Emmanuel quickly on the floor in the most important minutes in the most important games. I would still prioritize re-signing him. I think there's no denying like the effect that he had on the team. And part of that is like, it's, you see it in sports all the time, you know, and, and particularly in basketball, like the trade deadline injection or like the, the uh, new coach injection. Like if a, if a coach gets fired mid season and all of a sudden these guys start playing harder and, you know, start playing differently and you know it's it like things look a lot better than they are sometimes so i understand part of it was that with heart but i mean he he legitimately did revolutionize how they play like i i think if i think one thing that we could definitely agree on is one thing the knicks don't do enough of is push the pace and they're often too you know happy to just kind of be like you know get the rebound and lottie dollar way up the court uh, particularly after like they they sort of were pushing pace early in the year last year and then abandoned it around midseason and Josh Hart sort of like reawakened that in them, which was good. Uh, even if not all the players did it all the time, at least Hart was pushing pace and that was getting RJ out there sometimes, Brunson out there, you know, guys like that that and quickly, you know, and, and that's helpful. His defense is good for sure. I don't think he's like a transcendent defender one-on-one. -on -one, he leaves a lot to be desired. I thought that in some of the more key one-on-one -on -one matchups he got put into, he got a little toasted uh, during the playoffs. Like, I don't think he did a particularly great job on Jimmy Butler when he was matched up with him. And yet we obviously saw Quentin Grimes did a fantastic job on Jimmy Butler. So I think there's, there's levels to how good of a defender, but he's not going to like lose you anything on the defensive side of the ball. He also is a good ball hawk, like very similar to Jalen Brunson, his former Villanova teammate. Like they're both really good at identifying passing lanes and, you know, sticking a hand in there and then getting out in transition that way. Um, stuff like that. So like, I, I agree with you though. Like, I think the one thing that probably lost him a bunch of money was that heat series where, you know, against the Cavs, it didn't matter so much that he was not shooting on volume and, was not making a fantastic percentage of his threes because all the other things he does, like the rebounding and the pushing the pace and all that was perfectly tailored to destroy the calves and make them look pathetic. And then against the heat, they are 
better at transition defense and they play a faster pace. And they also just basically said, we're going to leave you wide open all the time. And we dare you to shoot. And he continually did not shoot. And that's why they stopped respecting him after about one game, you know, as if they ever respected him to begin with. But I mean, he essentially was finding himself with open enough threes. Like, let's put it this way. You brought up RJ Barrett. Like he had a lot of looks that RJ at least would have put the ball up. You know what I mean? And would have had a decent chance of making it. Hart didn't even feel confident enough to get the shot up uh, and would instead put it on the ground and then drive it into a clogged paint. And we saw how that worked out for the Knicks as well and for their spacing, which was to say terribly. So I would definitely pri- still prioritize bringing him back. I don't know what the proper number would be, but like given today's NBA and where the cap is at and everything, I don't think it would be obscene to give him like 18 million per for like a three, four year deal, probably like a three year deal. I think would be what I would want to go towards, but that's like roughly what like Evan Fournier got. And he's clearly a lot better than Evan Fournier. Um, It is going to be a little bit deeper of a free agent class though. So maybe you can sort of work that number down. I think if I could pick an ideal number where I would feel like I'm not committing highway robbery on the guy and also getting a really good deal for the Knicks would be like 15 million a year. If they could somehow pull that off, I would do that 10 times out of 10. Yeah, and he was like um, – Bobby Marks actually had some like good stats on it in his Knicks offseason primer. Like in the regular season, he did really well defensively. Like um, The stat from Marks is opponent shot 41% when Hart was the contesting defender in his 21 games with the Knicks. They ranked in the top 10 among 100 players to contest 250 shots after February 10th, according to second spectrum rank tracking – um, but part of that was also like he he was going up against bench units. And then in the playoffs, it was all right, Jimmy Butler, Donovan Mitchell. And again, I don't think he was bad in those matchups. He just didn't stand out as being like particularly elite um, to me, like 16 million would be the ideal number. And I think similar to quickly, like the the one, I guess, like shining light of those two really struggling in the playoffs. Um, and, I, and I'm not rooting against these guys getting their money. I want everyone to get paid. But in, in terms of like, like if I'm like t- putting emotion aside and putting on my, my Leon Rose hat, uh, my Leon Rose bald cap, um, I am saying like, look, when the going got tough, you guys struggled to some extent or another, you guys struggled. And to some extent or another, you guys hurt the team. Um, you're great in the regular season. That's true of so many players. Like there really just aren't a lot of guys in the NBA who can contribute positively, like in those key moments. But shooting gets put at such a premium despite everything else he does well. Like, I think you can talk your way down to like 15 or 16 million dollars a year. And, and you're risking something there if you're the Knicks because he's transformative. And like, there's another team that like is in desperate need of like that kind of guy. Like, PJ Tucker got pretty decent money from Philly a year ago. He's like a really old dude. Um, point being, like, his, his skill set has value around the NBA. But I think the Knicks can play a little bit of hardball there. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that. Unfortunately, I, I'm with you, and we'll talk about this later with Quickly too in another episode. But Quickly and Hart probably lost themselves a little bit of money this postseason, uh, just by virtue of with Quickly. It's not that you think he can't shoot; it's just that it's been inconsistent. With Hart, it's like, nah, like you probably just are this dude at this point. You're like a 33 ish percent three point shooter on like not fantastic volume, like the 45 percent or whatever you shot for that stretch with the Knicks is definitely not real. And you definitely can't do this on like high volume. So anyway, uh, speaking of Emmanuel quickly, we want to kind of talk about if Quentin Grimes can make a bit of a leap like Emmanuel quickly did 
this past year in our next segment. But Gavin, uh, do you want to let everybody know where they could play a really fun game real quick before we do that? Yeah, Alex, uh, there's there's uh, there's one place um, where they can go and do that. And that is our friends over at Prize Picks. And Prize Picks is offering a new $1 million daily Superflex promotion throughout the NBA playoffs and finals every day of the NBA playoffs and finals. One prize pick user will win a chance at becoming a millionaire. One entry placed after 8 a.m. EST will be randomly selected each day. Whoever placed that entry will be given a six pick flex with the following payout. Six correct picks. You get your million. Five correct picks. 80,000. Four correct picks. 16,000. Full details can be found at prizepicks.com slash million. You must opt in at this link to be eligible for the million dollar entry. Once you opt in, all you have to do is play the game like normal and you could be the lucky winner. And remember, of course, to enjoy our regular offering at Prize Picks, where you pick two to six players and they go score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. All you have to do is download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, well, Prize Picks will give you $50. So don't forget to enter promo code locked on and sign up for an instant deposit match. Up to $100. All right, Alex, our last big question for this first episode. Um, the other guy we were talking about on the perimeter for the New York Knicks, Quentin Grimes. Can he expand his game? Can he make an Emmanuel Quickly-esque jump in year three? And and, and to me, like I, I think it's a very apt comparison because we saw the flashes of what Grimes could be, right? The, the, those moments where he would explode by a defender and, and, and dunk on someone or, or throw in a double pump layup, maybe more likely over someone, or throw a no-look like slip pass to a Mitchell Robinson or an Isaiah Hartenstein for a dunk, a guy who at one point in the year led the NBA in blow-by rate, um, who down the stretch of the season, post-All-Star break in the regular season, was a 45% three-point shooter taking eight or nine of them per game, um, which puts him in the upper, upper echelon of shooters in the NBA. And a guy who flashed some elite defense in the playoffs against Jimmy Butler. If you take all those highs, Alex, and roll them into one player, you're talking about someone who, if not an all-star next year, is, I'm going to say Desmond Bain-esque, but even better defensively. Um, if you take the lows from Quentin Grimes, like maybe he doesn't even deserve to start next year. W- what are your thoughts on him heading into year three? Yeah, I think it all comes down to what you said. It's, it's going to be, what can he do other than the shooting? I mean, first, first off, obviously... The playoffs proved that one. So the one universal truth with Grimes is that he is a freaking amazing defender like that. Mm. That is unimpeachable. Like, so that is already well known. That's set in stone. As long as his body, you know, doesn't fail him in his lateral. Even when it does. Even when it does. He can still D up uh, Jimmy Butler and steal the ball from him, you know, like. Until such a day that his lateral quickness leaves him and stuff, he's going to be an elite defender, mm-hmm. which it means probably at least like eight years, if not more, where he'll be at this level. Uh, the shooting needs to find its consistency, uh, just like with Emmanuel quickly, just like with RJ Barrett, just like with every player on the Knicks, like ever, other than like Jalen Brunson now. Uh, he needs to find his consistency shooting the three ball. And I think that'll come. I, and, you know, he's too. He's too mechanical in the way that he shoots for that not to come around. So I feel pretty consistent or feel pretty confident in saying that he'll get consistent enough to 
be at the very least a like three and D player. So then the difference just becomes like, well, what can he do off the dribble? And will he start being trusted to initiate a little bit? Like, could we see him get trusted in the same way that like Josh Hart did, for example, you know, down the stretch of the season to be the guy that brings the ball up and at least get the action moving so that then, you know, a Emmanuel quickly or a Jalen Brunson can utilize their off ball talents. Uh, can he, can he do that? Can he get baseline like pick and roll skills to just be able to run a quick pick and roll and get inside and make a nice kick out or make a nice wrap around pass to the big that is trailing behind him. Um, can he continue developing attacking closeouts, which I think that's the most likely thing that could happen as soon as next year where he turns that into a real skill, but attached to that comes, how can he fix his finishing? Because I think that we especially saw down the stretch of the season, as great as his shooting got, he got like really kind of skittish for a little bit with his finishing and seemed always just a beat off as far as when he would get all the way to the hoop and would start going up for that layup, the pressure would come and then he would sort of like just lose that touch right at the very last second and kind of infuriatingly sometimes. So uh, we'll see how that goes, but I feel pretty good. Like as far as the, the crux of this question, like can he make a quickly like jump? I think he can. And I, I would say I feel pretty overwhelmingly confident that he's going to come out and have, I don't know if I'll call it like a breakout year next year, but I would say a a very improved year next year and, and look like he's really taken a step forward because I feel like the the things that he needs to work on are small enough relatively that it'll be tweaks that he just does like a million reps over the summer and he'll be right there. Yeah. And I think the single biggest thing for him is, is confidence because it was to your point about him at the rim. He shot um, 71% at the rim, which was 83rd percentile for wing players around the NBA. That includes guys who are bigger than him, guys that, that might be better athletes than him, guys that might be stronger than him. Like he was, he was a good finisher and his frequency at the rim wasn't bad. It was 54th percentile for wings. So he could get there and he could make shots when he got there. But to your point, he like, he was a mess psychologically, I think in that heat series. And part of that, I think is on Tom Thibodeau for not playing him early, not playing him often, not letting him work through those kinks. Um, But part of it that, that I absolutely can't blame Tibbs for was just Grimes like being in his first playoffs and like being a little bit gun shy, like maybe not expecting to be in the second round of the playoffs against, as, as we kept referencing, like one of the most battle tested teams in the NBA. And you saw it like in, in that closeout game, he missed a point blank, like lefty layup. And part of it was that he tried to make it with his right hand and he always tries to make it with his right hand. So like checkpoint one, like get a left hand because that, that is, it, it's generally just like th- there are moments where you're better off going inside hand and, and that will get the ball to the glass quicker and be the better finish. Generally, you want to go left hand, left side, right hand, right side. Um, and, and then the other thing that I noted is just his ability to to work off the dribble. And, and to me, again, that is entirely a confidence thing. Like this dude was was an all everything point guard in high school, like looked pretty good getting on dribble reps in college, looked amazing. If we can rewind to the summer league last year, like beating guys off the dribble um, to some extent. And it just has to come consistently in the NBA. And it doesn't have to come against the best defenders because those guys are going to be guarding Jalen Brunson, RJ Barrett, or Emmanuel quickly every single night. He's always going to get the worst perimeter defender. He has to be able to take advantage of it, Alex. Going one-on-one against a Duncan Robinson, that shouldn't be like an end-of-the-shot-clock bailout. That should be like, oh, we got that matchup? All right, Grimes, just go speed by him because he has the speed. He has the athleticism. And it's about, like, as Benji always notes with him, like, like driving to shoot. And then if the defense dictates that he shouldn't, 
than reacting. But too often, he was preemptively dictating that he was going to pass the ball, and, and that hurt him and that hurt the Knicks. And, and I think that was part of why Tibbs didn't feel totally comfortable playing him despite the impact that he had as a four spacer. Yeah, I feel like that Duncan Robinson note you just made could be maybe maybe that should get like posted all over the Knicks practice facility this whole offseason. <laughs> Duncan Robinson <laughs> should not stop you. <laughs> yeah, Duncan Robinson and players of his ilk are no threats. Please drive on them. Like you can, I promise. Yeah. You can do it. Um I'm imagining like a sports psychologist and he's like a like Duncan Robinson like shaped like stuffed animal next year. Like like where where did Duncan scare you? <laughs> yeah, where how did how did yeah. this scare you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he has to like sleep with it every night and hug it and like be, be friends with Duncan and then yeah. destroy it at the end of the summer with like a big hammer. I don't know. I don't just a plant, just a plant. <laughs> just light it on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Let let that go. Let that demon go. No, no shots at Duncan Robinson. Great player. <laughs> he's like a nice dude, but but Quentin Grimes has to get over it. Yeah, exactly. And that's the only way, really, is to burn an effigy of, yes. <laughs> uh, of, of Duncan Robinson. There's clearly. no other – it can't just be working on his dribble package. <laughs> but, yeah, I, all in all, I, I don't know too much more to say on it until, of course, we'll, we'll have some, some you know, statistical deep dives and stuff as we review these guys' seasons more. Uh, this week we kind of just want to focus on these bigger-picture questions. We still have plenty more to get into. We have a, a, another potential – uh, trade question for another big that'll probably be even more polarizing than the idea of the reigning MVP, uh, which is a guy out of Minnesota who hails from New Jersey and uh, I believe grew up a Knicks fan. So that that's enough hints. You you could figure it out. Uh, also, of course, talking about Tibbs, talking about if there are untouchable players on this team. We're going to talk about Julius Randle, RJ Barrett. We'll talk about whatever happens out of the draft lottery, which at this particular moment you're listening to this, might already know the answer to, but as we're recording this, we don't know the answer to yet. Uh, <laughs> and also talk about Emmanuel quickly, Obi Toppin, and Rokas Jokobitis, who we, who we haven't talked about in a minute. Uh, potentially interesting guy if the Knicks don't end up with a draft pick to look at, maybe bringing over from Europe. But those are all questions for other days in our big question series. So we'll be getting into more of those this week as we continue on. But until next time, thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all soon. Peace out, everybody.